Thanks to Audible for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. For a free audiobook with a 30 day free trial, go to audible.com slash fool or text the word fool to 500 500. It's Monday, February 5th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday, gents. Hey, hey. Shout out to our listeners in Philadelphia. Hopefully, you are. Uh, You've survived the night, based on some of the reports. Here's one thing I learned this morning. Uh, apparently, uh, you know, if you're at a nice hotel like the Ritz Carlton and um, you get out of the car and there's an awning outside, uh, apparently the the tensile strength of those awnings maxes out at 11 people. Because uh, we now know this. We now know this. It's been mm. tested in Philadelphia See because in celebration of the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. A twelfth person got on top of the awning. The twelfth man, and that's when it collapsed. So now we know. Just after never, they were swan diving off of it. Understand that for the life of me. I mean, it's like you are it's so been... proud of everything and what your city's accomplished, and let's just go ransack it and just leave it in shambles. I mean, it just my favorite was the guy be more at odds with one another. Right? <laughs> He's doing the trust fall <laughs> yeah. off that awning. That's a lot of trust. Right onto the ground. That's a lot of trust. Um, meanwhile, the business world. Continues to uh, to grind its wheels, and uh, we've got some retail news. We've got some pretty interesting banking news. Uh, let's start. Let's start with the market itself. In the past week, the Dow has fallen almost five percent. Uh, we taped Motley Fool Money on Friday afternoon. We got out of the studio. It was all earnings. It was an all earnings show, and we got out of the studio Friday afternoon. And looked at what was happening with the market, and just if you're searching for business news in the U.S. on Friday afternoon, overwhelmingly the dominant story is, "Oh my gosh, the Dow is falling, six hundred sixty-six points, and it, it it it's down another I don't know another one hundred fifty points." And so, first, and then I'll kick it to you, Jason. First, recognize: can we all just at least agree that as the Dow continues to go higher, the fact that it's falling or rising? X number of points means less and less. Yeah, that the percentage is what matters, mm-hmm. not the points. So I get that the Dow falling 600 points sounds like a big deal. It's a much smaller deal in 2018 than if this was 1987 and the Dow is falling 600 points. Yeah, and I mean with the Dow, I mean that is 30 companies versus something like the S&P, which is 500. So there's a big difference there too. If the, if the just one of the components of the Dow has a bad day, that sort of has a an outweighted effect mm-hmm. uh, versus something like the S&P. And I mean, I think generally speaking, we all agree that the S&P is a better. Uh, proxy, sort of a, a nicer cross section of the overall economy. But yeah, I mean, to your point, we got out of taping on Friday, and I had gone home a little bit early that day, and it was just it, I was dumbfounded at the the level of panic that was on the news. Like I was switching channels at home, and it just and I, I guess you know they're looking for something to talk about, and this was something to talk about, I suppose. It's just a good reminder that hey, the markets. Don't always just go up. By the same token, let's take this in context and understand that the world is not coming to an end. Um, I think it's also very telling when you see days like this. A lot of people will talk about it. Man, I can't wait for a dip. I want to buy on the dip. I just need a buying opportunity. Stocks are too expensive. And then when the you know what hits the van, everybody goes running for cover, and they all of a sudden become very scared to to pull that trigger, thinking there may be more. 
Um, so it, it's always just a good reminder that stocks do go down. It it's gonna be okay. Try to understand what the nature of the the pullback is, um, and and just when you look at things from the longer term perspective, I think it puts everything in context, and you learn not to panic. You mean that the fact that they're up three hundred percent since March of March ninth, two thousand nine, um, and then one of the reasons why people were selling the market was selling off, is because wages rose too quickly. So now the Fed might raise interest rates. Economy is strong, and then the market sells off as a result. So kind of. Interesting twist there. Strong economy, market says, oh, we might want to sell off a little bit here. Kind of counterintuitive, but yeah, two and a half percent in one day, not too terrible. Still haven't gone down five percent in a record number of days. So, yeah. I think what's more noteworthy nowadays is just how much. Variation we see in in the matter of just one trading day, like before technology, before uh, we were all connected via our mobile devices, and you had to actually look up stock prices in the newspaper the next day. I mean, information was out there; it was tougher to come by, but you would generally see the market would do one thing or the other on any given day, and you didn't see a lot of intraday swings because the information just wasn't traveling as fast. It, It travels so quickly now. Um, and there are so many other instruments out there to trade and, and, and to invest in that it's just it, things move all sorts of di- different directions just in the, in the matter of one day. Which it's it's I mean I guess that's good. I mean I kind of feel like the market should just be open twenty four seven, but um, it, it does really lend itself to to a lot more volatility. Well, and to go back to something you touched on earlier, this is. Just one more reason why at the Motley Fool we focus on individual businesses because there are always going to be moments where there's just sort of a general tide. And so sometimes strong, stable, growing businesses that you want to be a part owner of for the next 10, 20, 30 years, they sell off just because they're sort of swept up in the tide. But those are the moments to just sort of look at your portfolio and almost go company by company and say, okay. This is down a little bit. Why is this down? Did anything materially change, or is this just sort of part of the tide? Because if something has materially changed, and we'll talk about a company in a second where <laughs> there absolutely has been material change and not in the good way, um, then then that's one thing. But it's another thing altogether. If it's just sort of like, oh, this is just, and I have to say this because I I'm someone in part because of what I do for a living that I'm looking at financial media every day. Never underestimate. The bears out there, and and I mean the the people who are on who are in the business of being bearish, the people who are out there saying it's coming, the crash is coming because they are only going to get louder anytime we see this sort of one day, two day sell off. They're just going to bang that drum even harder because they're desperately aching to be correct. <laughs> it happens so infrequently compared to updates. So yeah, you're right. They just want the limelight. Who knows when it comes back. You get out there and just predict it's going to happen. At some point, it does. Mm-hmm. It's like I keep telling you, I keep telling you. Maybe they may suck at the timing part of it, but hey, you know what? Eventually, a crash is like I've happen. said every three months for the last <laughs> six years, and it's okay. But I mean, I think to your point, and I really think this is a very important one that we ought to hammer home for listeners and for new investors. And I think a lot of people will just eschew this philosophy as being sort of laissez-faire. You just kind of stick your head in the sand, and it's not really effective in today's investing world. It really it does speak a lot to our philosophy of business focused investing. I mean, when you see these these moves up and down, it, there's a lot to be said for being able to look at the stocks that you own and understanding the businesses that are behind them. I mean, if you own shares of Google, if you own shares of Amazon, 
if you own shares of Starbucks, any of those businesses, you can look at them and say, these are relevant businesses that are still going to be here tomorrow. They have a lot of different ways they can succeed, and they have great track records of success. That can help sort of take the ease off of days like Friday, and you can say, "Listen, I don't have to get mixed up in that minutia because I know that I own these stocks because I like the businesses that are behind the stocks. The stock is just the instrument, right? We're really talking about the underlying business, and it really, over time, it makes a big difference. It's paper lost on Friday unless you were forced into selling. Bonton has become the latest retailer to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Here's the part that I don't get. Bonton also announced that they are closing 40 locations, and they've got a number of brands under the Bonton umbrella. They're closing 40 stores. They've got 260 stores. Yeah, and I'm just wondering if they need to, like, if they are serious about trying Close to more of them. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if they, yeah, <laughs> because if they are serious about, okay, we think this is the way for us to survive, to file for bankruptcy protection, we're going to come out on the other side. It really seems like closing more than just uh, what's the math here? Sixteen percent? Do I have that right? Roughly? I mean, we'll give it to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm close to the pin. <laughs> That's right. Uh, shouldn't they be closing more of these locations? I kind of. I mean, I know there are other brands underneath the Bonton umbrella, but the name itself. I think they just kind of failed at the very beginning with the brand because. When I see that name, I immediately start thinking candy, right? I mean, it's bonbon, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it's not. It's it's retail. It's a uh... or if you're a Star Wars nut, then Tauntaun. Well, there I you go. Bon John chicken. So, and so everybody's got their percent. But it, it sounds like we were all off the mark with what these guys really do. Um, I th- I think this is just a another great example of the shifting space in retail and the world sort of looking at a concept like this and thinking, hey. Do we really need this? And chances are probably no. But I mean, this business chalks up around three billion dollars annually in sales. Now, the flip side of that is profitability is has fallen to an all-time low. And um, much like Toys R Us, this is a business that has just been overwhelmed with debt. I mean, something in the neighborhood of one billion dollars or so in debt. And typically, when we're looking at businesses to try to ascertain how financially fit they are, how fiscally fit they are, we look at how much they bring in operating income versus their net interest expense that goes out. And typically, we like to see that operating income cover it a multiple of times over of what the interest expense is. And in this case, it's actually the reverse. And trailing 12 month net interest expense is around 15 times what this company made in operating hmm. profits. So they just don't have enough money to pay the bills. And that's why the Chapter 11 is happening. Also, when you look at the way that they have built their overall business and how heavily this is a retailer that is tied to malls. Oh yeah, and and it's not that there aren't bricks and mortar retailers that won't grow over the next decade. But I think if you're an investor who's serious about that space, you better take a long, hard look, not just at how heavily tied to malls is a given retailer that I'm thinking about buying shares of, but also what kind of malls, because the the so-called tier one malls. Are definitely in better shape than sort of your tier three malls. 
Yeah, and I wonder this this concept. I would say is probably more of a regional brand as opposed to a right, national, yeah. and I think that makes it really difficult for them to make that leap into this sort of twenty first century e commerce. Um, internet retail world. If you don't have a brand that is nationally recognized, uh, you're already sort of behind the eight ball with the the nationally recognized retailers that have already made that leap to, to growing out that that internet side of the business. I want to say thanks to Audible for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. For our dozens of listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook with a 30 day free trial. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it. Just go to audible.com. Or text the word "fool" to 500-500, and you can browse their unmatched selection of audio content. Download a title free and start listening. It's that e- easy. Audible also has exclusives and original audio shows. Uh, I'm working my way through Vacation Land: True Stories from Painful Beaches by John Hodgman. Always love it when the author is actually the person reading the book. Oh yeah, I'm a fan of that. Um, we got our trip coming to San Francisco later this week. I might have to get another another audiobook for the plane. Uh, Audible also has the send this book feature. Uh, you can share a book from your library with anyone, and if it's their first time accepting a book through this feature, they can listen for free. Uh, they also have speed controls, so you can listen listen faster or slower. Uh, narration at the speed that suits you. So get a free audiobook with a 30 day free trial at audible.com/fool. Or text the word fool to 500 500. That's A U D I B L E dot com slash F O O L. Or text the word fool to 500 500. Friday was Janet Yellen's last official day on the job, and holy cow, did she go out with one heck of a mic drop. Um, and I'll just read directly from one news source. Uh, Janet Yellen wrapped up her final day on the job. Leading the central bank by dropping a bombshell, she smacked down Wells Fargo, issuing an order that bars the scandal-plagued, abuse-prone bank from growing until it cleans up its act. The penalty will cost Wells Fargo $300 million to $400 million this year in after-tax profits by its own reckoning. Um, that's on a percentage basis. That is not much. That's less than two percent. Um, it has to submit a plan for overhauling its corporate governance within 60 days, and will replace four of its 16 board members by the end of the year. You know, <laughs> I, off the top of my head, I'm sure I've heard Janet Yellen's voice at one point or another. I, I can't really recall what it sounds like. She's always just, and I like this in my mm-hmm. Fed chair people. I like sort of the calm, steady. Unflappable, man. She just lit them on fire as she walked out the door. Yeah, it's not something you typically see from the Federal Reserve going after individual companies like this. You think the SEC, the FTC, uh, those kind of organizations. But wow, you had to basically cap growth for a company until they get their act together, reasonable or not. Coming from the Federal Reserve, I was caught off guard by that. Yeah, that was. I mean. This was the other story from Friday that caught a lot of people. Like, to me, I was like, forget the Dow being yeah, down 600 seriously. points. Let's talk about this. Yeah, I had, I had heard Miss Yellen speak a few times. She was seems to be very soft spoken. I mean, it wasn't like she was Marianne from Brooklyn, but um, I, so I think that with Wells Fargo, I, I have sort of two takes on this. First and foremost, I think this is likely one of those instances where we look back a couple of years from now, and this probably marks a good time to have bought Wells Fargo stock. I don't really like saying that. I'm not the biggest fan right it's now. It's certainly Wells Fargo. cheaper today than it, it was it last most, Friday. It most definitely is. I think one of the ways that we value banks is by return on assets. Um, that's a very 
common way to do it. And if if you look at a a big bank like Wells Fargo, and basically they are putting a ceiling on on their assets at this point, they can't grow that assets line on the balance sheet. Then you're saying that materially is going to affect their earnings power, at mm-hmm. least in the short run. I think they're right to have done this. I think uh, Wells Fargo has done a number of different things where either it was just bad behavior or they flat out were just not paying attention to what was going on. But I think that uh, consumers have a number of different reasons to complain. And, and I mean, I'll just give you one personal anecdote. I mean, we sold a house in Georgia you know, a year and a half ago or so, and, and we felt like we really got shafted on the appraisal for that house. And it was a Wells Fargo um, lender that was representing the buyer. And we tried to go back and forth with Wells Fargo, saying this just didn't make sense. And based on the comps in the neighborhood, and, and, and Wells Fargo just turned. The other way, and didn't even like entertain. So I actually filed a complaint with the FTC. Um, Nothing ever happened, of course. (laughs) I mean, I didn't expect it to, but at least we went on record. Um, So yeah, I don't mind seeing Wells Fargo get their hands slapped a little bit here. Again, the phrase used to describe the bank (laughs) in today's Washington Post. The scandal-plagued, abuse-prone bank. <laughs> Interrupts all the wound quick and loans overtook them as the number one mortgage provider yeah. in the country in 2017. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I wonder what the. I mean, I guess I haven't read if if uh, Uncle Warren has any sort of opinion on this. I That's mean, true, obviously yeah. Berkshire Hathaway is still a big owner of the bank, and yes. he's he's come to their defense a number of times. And so that I think it's a great it's a great point. And just to be specific, shares of Wells Fargo down eight percent today. That's a big deal for a company. I, I was like just going to say, number, yeah. p- please, by all means, point me to the last time that stock moved higher or lower. Eight percent or more in a single day. That's not a stock that generally does that type of thing. And put other banks on notice too. Yeah. I mean, well, it definitely yeah. will. But I mean, if you go back to I think it was October of 2016 when a lot of this stuff started coming to light. Yeah. And the stock was obviously having its its issues. We were talking about this back then that probably we were making a big deal of it today. But but probably a year from now the market will have forgotten it. And and I mean the stock has done very well since that point. Even with today's sell-off, it's still up nicely from back in October 2016. So it just kind of leads me back to this idea that at some point or another, the market is going to forget about this. They're going to have this ceiling lifted, and it's going to be back to business as usual. Um, but that doesn't mean they don't have uh, some culture and/or leadership issues they need to address. I think you're absolutely right with reference to Warren Buffett, and I think at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting later this spring, I think that is going to be probably number one in terms of questions asked. Yeah. In terms of their holdings. Uh, Real quick before we wrap up, Super Bowl last night. Give me one ad, one commercial. There were some good commercials, I thought, yeah. last night. Um, anything stand out to you, either funny or, hey, I think this may actually move the needle for this business? I thought the, the, the ongoing joke of the Tide commercial was pretty pretty funny. Claiming every commercial as a Tide commercial because every <laughs> yeah. everybody's clothes are so crisp and yeah. clean. So it was a smart move yeah. by P and G. Yeah, the Jason? Tide commercial that was clever. Um, I my my initial instinct is I, I feel like we jumped the shark on the commercials thing. I think the overwhelming yeah. overwhelming number of them are just not good. They're not like compelling. I feel like maybe we've sort of moved on beyond that. But I liked the the Amazon Echo losing its voice <laughs> that commercial. Good, that to me was just really <laughs> clever. And to have Bezos in there, like Bezos really showed off some acting chops there. So that's that to me is the one that stands out because I look at that ad and I watched it a couple of times and I thought to myself, I don't know that this is necessarily the best 
commercial for this product. It's funny. I don't know that it's the best commercial for the product. Uh, Google had a commercial, maybe it was at last year's Super Bowl, for their home assistant that I thought did a great job of showing off the product because it was essentially here are all the different ways you can use it. Mm-hmm. This was really funny. To me, the, the, the biggest benefit to that commercial was Bezos. Yeah. Was just, it was almost like, I know this wasn't their intention, or, or maybe this is sort of a, an icing on the cake thing, but to me, it was like, Hey, Bezos has got a little bit of a sense of humor because, <laughs> like, he's—I mean—he's taking over the world. He's the wealthiest person on the planet, and there are people who are, you know, would love to see him taken down a peg. And there was there was some comedic chops there. Well, I, like so I think they approach this from the perspective: if you have gone through the the earnings report that Amazon just released. Um, I mean, one of the highlights in there was that 2017 was just a huge year for Echo and for Alexa, mm-hmm. and, and it even took don't, them by don't, surprise. Don't use the word. Sorry. Yep. I apologize, folks. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. For those who don't know, I haven't so, mentioned this in a while. You can listen to any Motley Fool podcast uh, or our daily news briefing on the Echo, on the Google Home Assistant. If you've got one of those personal home assistants, we're on all of those. But anyway, I do it all the time in the kitchen when I'm making dinner. It's wonderful. Um, yeah, but I think after 2017, the success that the device, that really the franchise, I guess you could call it at this point, has had, I mean, I think the commercial was really geared more towards having some fun with that success as opposed to really trying to create awareness. Because I think the awareness is really already there given the success. And to reel in all of those different celebrity names to sort of have their voices kicking out, I mean, it was just really funny. I thought it was well done. All right, Jason Moser, Taylor Muckerman, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. Cheers. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.